We want to welcome you this morning to Neighborhood Bible Church. I uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, for some of you, I think less and less people had uh, a long weekend this weekend, but, but some of you got that. So I hope you enjoyed your time. Um, listen, we just want to do kind of a little worship focus. It's kind of like where the preacher gets to preach extra long because he gets to preach at the beginning and then preach more later. So um, I know that excites you all. Um, the word Advent, how many of you are familiar with the Advent season? Not just hearing of it, but really understand it, and that was a part of your tradition growing up. Just pop your hand up just so I can kind of get a sense. Okay, if you don't have your hand up, that's like me. Like, this would be my answer to that question, okay? Um, I, I grew up with Advent, not like really a regular part of my, of my church upbringing, but we're, uh, we're kind of embarking on this four-week series that, that Ben and I grabbed a hold of last year, but it was too late to kind of work it in. The, the machine was already in motion of where we were going for the December kind of Christmas season. Um, but it's this thing that we introduced several weeks ago called Advent Conspiracy. And I thought if we're doing a four-week series on Advent Conspiracy, we better be clear on what Advent is. For those of us who, like myself, didn't grow up with celebrating the Advent season. It has to do more with a liturgical calendar, and some different uh, traditions really draw that out. Other traditions don't at all. So here's just kind of, uh, kind of a, a brief thing so you can understand the word and understand kind of where we're going um, with, with Advent. The first thing that I want to just kind of point out to you is this. The word Advent means this. It's a, it's a Latin word that just means coming or arrival. So um, when you hear that word, again, there's, there's not some mystical religious meaning. It's a Latin word. It just means coming or arrival. And that makes sense for the, the season that we're, that we're celebrating. Um, if you have your, your, your uh, bulletin, by the way, I want you to pull this out right here. Uh, this is a little write-up. Um, and, and we'll kind of talk about this more in a, in a couple minutes, but it just kind of talks a little bit about Advent conspiracy, and it kind of lays out the four weeks and, and where we're going and, um, and all of that. Uh, here's, here's kind of the, the gist of it. The, the focus of the entire season really is on the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, and that's the first Advent. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ, right? He came and was born, and there's a manger, and there's, there's sheep and camels. You guys, is this ringing a bell? Okay, you're a little bit asleep this morning. I need some nods. Like, yeah, we got that story. Uh, yeah, so that's, thank you, Lindsay. That's the first Advent. That's the first coming that we celebrate. But that's just part of the Advent season. The second Advent has to do with the fact that this same Jesus is coming again as a reigning king. And so there's two Advents. There's two comings that we're celebrating here. And that's just one of the powerful things. There's a, there's a celebration of the past, but there's also this built-in anticipation of the future. That this same Jesus is coming again in the second Advent. Far more than simply marking a 2,000-year-old event in history, it's celebrating this truth about God. Uh, the, the, the revelation of God in Christ, whereby all creation is, is reconciled to Himself. And last year we talked about the curse and if you don't understand the curse, Christmas doesn't make quite as much sense. It's also a process in which we now participate. It's, it's the, 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 the consummation of this is something that we, we anticipate as believers, as those in the family of God. And what we're going to do is this. There's, there's an Advent candle over here next to Ruth. Ruth's thrilled that I drew attention to her over there. Um, and, there's, and there's four candles because there's kind of four Sundays, four weeks leading up to Advent. And so rather than just being about a day or a couple of days, it's really a month-long anticipation. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to have some candles lit, one candle lit each week. And, and each candle lighting represents the light of Christ. And as the, as the candles glow brighter, 
It's this idea that the world's a dark place. And not only did Christ come 2,000 years ago and bring light, he's the light of the world, but he's coming again to a dark place. And he will be the great light of the world. So as you see a candle lit, think about that. And that's what the light represents. Um, as, we, as we light a candle, we'll also be having some different scripture readings. Most of the scripture readings are going to be actually forward-looking for us. So rather than being scripture readings about the promise and the coming Emmanuel, it's going to be almost more forward-looking. And for us, thinking about this anticipation of a Savior who's going to come back for his own. And so there are themes of, um, of accountability for faithfulness at the coming of Jesus Christ. Judgment on sin and the hope of eternal life. So as you, as you hear songs sung, as you hear scripture read, as you see a candle lit, I want you to think about this whole idea. And again, for some of you, this will be a brand new season of learning about Advent and kind of what that's all about. Um, but I love going back and recapturing things that, that turned into just religious movement. And just turned into something that became stale and ritualistic. And there's, it kind of lost the meaning over time. And to go back and recapture that and say, why did that start in the first place? And to think that we're going to be celebrating uh, with people from around the world. I want to have the band come on back up now. And uh, we're just going to continue in worship with song. And um, you see a, a tree lit to my right and your left. And uh, right after service today, we want to invite the whole congregation out um, to either go grab some lunch, or those of you who read the bulletin the last week or two know that this is coming and you've packed a lunch or you've already made plans. Um, maybe you brought your crock pot and it's plugged in back in the kitchen. I don't know what you did, but uh, we're just going to enjoy some, some lunch together and then we're going to decorate this place. We're going to get this place all decked out for Christmas. So let me say a word of prayer and then we'll just continue. Father, thank you so much for the season. I thank you, God, for bringing us back together again um, after a, a week of festivities and, and being together. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would really settle our hearts in and focus on, on what you want to say to us here this morning. God, we praise your name that you're here in our midst. And as we sing to you, you're not a distant God. You're not a 2,000-year-old concept that happened a long time ago. God, this is a season for celebrating the present and this reality, God, that, that, that you're here in our midst. The Word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And God, that's a powerful thought that as our lips and hearts and minds agree with these truths that we sing about, God, that globally around the world in a hundred different contexts, there are people doing exactly the same thing, worshiping the risen Jesus this morning. And so, God, we invite you here and we ask, Lord, that you would just have free reign to do with this morning as you would please. Amen. All right. I'd invite you to go ahead and open up your, uh, your bulletin. There's some sermon notes there. You can kind of follow along with, with where we're going this morning. <clears throat> as I mentioned, this, uh, this new four-week series is all about uh, just... This whole idea of, of Advent conspiracy, and it's something that in 2006, uh, a handful of churches, I think there were about six churches, pastors, that, that got together and decided um, that they were going to act on the world's need for, for clean water. And, uh, and since then, hundreds of churches have, have joined in. The particular thing that they were passionate about was, was making drills, causing, uh, causing wells to, to come up in, in places around the world that, that needed clean water. They went and saw firsthand some of the 
the, the places people were getting their water, let there be light. Some of the places that people were getting their water from, and, um, and they, they just said, we have to do something about that. And so, on the one hand, this is a, this is a, a new movement. Um, but what's really cool is it's actually a very, very old movement, right? Um, Advent is something that's, that's been around for 2,000 years. The old movement is this. 2,000 years ago, angels acted on the need for clean hearts. And sent by God, they came and kind of initiated this, this story of how God was going to come and provide for children. Not who were drinking out of lousy wells, but who were, who were living uh, in bondage to sin. And, and that's, the, that's the story of Advent. The Advent season has been celebrated ever since. Again, I know that for some of you, this is maybe reclaiming a tradition that you grew up with. Um, and for others of you, this is brand new. So you'll be kind of on this journey with us for the first time. I've, I've, I've posed a problem in your, in your bulletin. And the problem is this. The problem is that a sacred season is threatened by a consumer culture. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Some of you see this and say, yeah, that's definitely a problem. Others of you say, oh, I don't know, maybe not so much. But, but there it is. I, I, I toss it out to you. Um, I feel like as I drive around, live my life, do different things, God is constantly putting perfect sermon illustrations right in front of my face. And uh, I was driving my child home from school, I think on Monday or Tuesday of this last week, and I almost wrecked my car. Because I was listening to the radio, which I, I never really listened to the radio, but I didn't have my iPod with me. So I'm driving home from school, pop on the radio, and I heard an ad from this company. This is Warner Jewelers. Here's what they said. We all, now, this isn't verbatim. I went online to try to find it. If you find it, get it to me because it's too perfect. Here's roughly what it said. We all learned what was truly valuable with the recent economic sting. By the way, the voice is very soothing, very understanding. And I thought, yes, this guy understands. Here's what he continued on to say. Family, community, and friends are what really matter. Yes. To celebrate this, we have over three million in brand new merchandise. Fine stones and jewels in gorgeous settings. And then he said something to the effect of the most important, like, like, like to, to get in your hands the most important thing. And I was like, what? Didn't you just say like that stuff and money going away actually enlightened us to the things that are really important, relationships and family and community and coming together. And, and to celebrate this, we're going to go buy stuff. That's what, that's what I heard. And I, I sat there and I thought, man... It's so subtle. It's so cyclical. That reasoning is just, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. So I, I pulled over and I actually gave myself a little voice memo to try and, re, re, like, say what he just said so I wouldn't forget it. Warner Jewelers isn't alone. They're not the only ones saying that kind of thing, right? That, that's a message that goes out time and time again. And again, it's really subtle and it's just kind of a part of who we are now. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John's in the very back part of your Bible. I'll give you a couple minutes to get there. While you're turning there, think about this. Advertisers are funding the creation of a consumer culture. They're actually paying money to kind of, to kind of steer how culture goes. And let me, without getting a ton into this, there's all kinds of data and research and, and cool things we could pull out. But we won't get, get into it a, a whole bunch. But if the idea of culture is ideas, traditions, and values, let me just point out a couple of things of how 
of how advertisers, those trying to sell you something, are, uh, are, are, are funding kind of the, the, the way your holiday season goes. Now, I'm going to mention a bunch of things that aren't bad in and of themselves. In fact, this whole season, some of you might be a little worried with Advent conspiracy. You're like, are we not allowed to give gifts anymore? Is eggnog okay? I mean, you're, you're kind of running through the list. You're like, he better not touch, you know, this tradition. So let's just take a deep breath. Okay, there's a ton of grace here. Uh, we're, not, we're not going to be mandating, you know, how you spend things. We want you to think is all. So let me throw out some things and, and just... It stands to reason that someone is, is, is here to make a profit off of, off of some of these things, right? Uh, some of you got married, right? And when you're, when you're getting married, the honest people will say this. Look, we're here to, to make money at this, uh, but also provide you a service. And, um, and when it's someone, we had a photographer that we gladly paid money to because he did a phenomenal job. And he was just such a servant, and he, and he, was, an, he was a joy to work with. We paid him money. There were other people, no joke, um, we, we paid a, a, a videographer, and um, somehow we got talked into the two-shot camera angle, which actually ended up making a really nice look on our VHS cassette. Um, but here's what, the second, here's what the second video guy did. We're in a church not too much bigger than this, and all of my groomsmen are standing right here. It's May 30th. It's blazing hot. They're in tuxedos. There's no air conditioning or fans in the thing. So thoughtful someone in our family put up a fan right behind them so it's just kind of oscillating behind them. Well, second videographer guy is not only there to make money off me by talking me into a second video shot, but he takes our fan, turns it around, stops it from oscillating, and puts it right on himself for the entire service. One's a servant. One's not a servant. I was not happy to pay that guy so much as to pay my photographer. Here's the point. Everyone involved in a wedding, not, not quite everyone, most everyone is involved in, in the marketing of it, right? So you just, you just have to go. You don't have to be paranoid. But you have to go on with your head on straight and thinking clearly about that sort of thing. The same is true of Christmas. Let me just throw some things out. Think about someone making a profit off of this, okay? Christmas cards, Christmas lights, Christmas songs, Christmas movies, Christmas specials. Christmas parties, Christmas gifts, okay? Again, not that those are bad. I'm going to probably watch a Christmas movie. In fact, I guarantee you I will watch a Christmas movie. But just to point out that there's a, there's a, a market here. I can see an international student in a few years uh, just writing home, you know, emailing the, the, the folks back home. He's over here to study, and, um, and he's writing about, you know, about, about this this celebration that goes on during the fourth week of November, and he writes this. Although I don't understand completely, I know that they celebrate this holiday called Black Friday. And, and it, it must be a grueling affair because they eat all day long the day before to prepare for it. And, and I, I could see, I, mean, I don't know this, but I could see an international student getting it a little mixed up of what goes on over the past four days that we just had, right? Now, you could swap out Black Friday for football. You could swap it out for a lot of different things. But it could be that Thanksgiving, you know, slowly gets kind of nudged out of the picture. It's more than just a little overindulgence. It's more than, uh, you know, than, than, than just kind of going along with things. There's, there's actually worship elements that are at stake here. Now, is it wrong to go to... Uh, to the mall. It's not. But it's wrong to worship at the mall. 
Is it wrong to watch football? It's not. But if, if, if football becomes more important than engaging with, with people, there's, there's probably a worship problem that's, that's there. I can tell I'm stepping on toes. I love it. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Just, let's just let the Scriptures... We're going to start here, make our way to a few different spots. Let's just let the Scriptures speak to us. Okay? And again, what we're doing is we're wanting to hear from, from God on these kinds of matters. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... Catch this, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The man or woman, the person who does the will of God lives forever. Let me ask you this, church. What is According to Jesus, according to God become man, what is the greatest commandment that he said? What is the number one thing with the will of God? What is it? Call it out to me. To love the Lord your God. Right. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The, the, the number one thing, you, you just go, man, boil it all down for me. The Christian life gives a very complex, robust answer to the complex and robust lives that we live. We live very sophisticated lives, and the Bible, the Bible gives very complex answers, but it can also be boiled down to really, really simple things. You just wake up and you go, God, I've just got all this stuff. What do you want me to do? You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to worship him. Just boil it all down to worship. So... Then you ask the question, what does worshiping God look like? We've come up with a really, really simple answer. We just went through this kind of in our, in our, in our pure and simple church uh, series that we went to. But, but think about this. Think about God as Father. He's revealed himself to us as Father. So it's, it's perfectly acceptable to think about, about God as your Heavenly Father. And just think about this. If, if you're involved in an activity, if you're, if you're thinking a thought, if you're using all of your strength for this activity, just, just ask this question or not. Is this making my Heavenly Father smile? What is it that makes your Heavenly Father smile? You know what? That's worship. There's your answer right there. We were driving to church this morning. And... Um, and my, my middle school son is out with our middle schoolers today right now. If there's ever a fifth Sunday of the month, which this one is, then our middle school group does something off-site. And they've done all kinds of really cool things. And Ben this morning has them off uh, passing out flyers explaining this canned food drive that we're doing. And so they're out in the neighborhood right now. And as we're driving to worship or driving to church, I said this to, to Curran. I said, Curran, I, I want you to thoroughly enjoy worship this morning. And he goes, okay, Dad. And he goes, oh, wait. He goes, I'm going to be out in the neighborhood. I said, I know. I said, but, but remember, while you're out there rollerblading around, hitting every house, giving them a flyer and an opportunity to participate in a canned food drive, you're worshiping God. And what you're doing out there in the neighborhood this morning is just as important as what we're going to be doing inside the building on Sunday morning. So enjoy worship today. And he's like, oh, I got it. Cool. Yeah, I will. And that's the picture of worship, that it, that it explodes kind of beyond what we're doing here. I love this line in, um, in the, the video. It says this, that this is Christmas and it is our story. This is our story to tell. 
This isn't a story to tell for, for, for someone on Madison Avenue. This isn't a story to tell for, for someone who's kind of driving a certain kind of consumer culture. This is a story to tell for, for Christians. And the idea that this all began with worship. Let's say a word of prayer. God, this morning, as we kind of embark on this, this season, Lord, of, of celebrating Advent, I pray, God, that this would be a different kind of year for, for us individually, as families, and as a congregation, God. I pray that you would rescue us from same old, same old. Father, I pray that you would give us fresh eyes and fresh hearts to see what it is you want to do through us as a church, as a family, this Christmas season, God. In Jesus' name, amen. The premise of Advent conspiracy is quite simple. It says, it says this, worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. I love that they start with, with worship fully. They start with that because this whole season started with worship. And the video captures that pretty, pretty well. Worship fully indicates that there must be something more. There must be something more than, than Sunday morning, right? That this isn't worship. This isn't the totality of worship. It indicates that there's something more than just December. This, this idea and this concept carries on broader than this kind of season. It's more than songs. It's more than Bible study. It's more than just getting saved. It's more than all these moral things, none of which are bad, but there's more to it than that. Think about the opposite of full. Instead of full, you, you get words like empty or incomplete or void. And if you talk to people in kind of unguarded moments, some would say, man, those are the exact adjectives I would use to describe Christmas. I feel like there should be something more, but, but it's incomplete. Some would say flat out, it's just void of meaning. I mean, I, I know the story and I've got the little nativity scene, but, but it's incomplete. It's void. It's empty. It's time for the whole story. If you think about it, Christmas without context kind of rings hollow. And this exact same true is, is, the, is, is, is with the gospel, the sharing of the good news. Think about this. If, if you come up to someone, and um, again, international students is just one of the best ways. Some of you, some of you get to travel the world. Um, it's, it's really fun to interact with people who literally have no context for Jesus. That's a great opening question. Hey, what do you know about Jesus? Uh, people say it when they're mad. Yeah, what else? That's about it. Awesome. We're going to have a fun time. And you just start to talk to them about that a little bit. Now, here's the deal. If you come across someone like that and you jump right to the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and not only that, he rose again, and that paid the penalty for your sin. Doesn't that make you excited? He's going to go, no. Here's why. If this person you're talking to doesn't understand their dire need for someone else to come in and step in and take the place, if they don't understand that the wrath of God is coming for those who don't live perfect lives, if they don't understand that they're the ones in deep weeds right now, then the good news becomes just news. I mean, you can pass over it as quickly as, as any other headline. You go, cool. Some guy died on a cross, got really bloody, and evidently rose again. But if you come to grips, and some of you know exactly what this is like because you lived through it. I mean, I heard this my whole life growing up. And at 17 years of old, uh, 17 years of age, it's like God peeled back my, my, 
the scales on my eyes and said, no, 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 it's your sin that's a problem, Dave. You're the one who, who is going to be paying for your sins. But for the blood of Jesus that frees you from that and washes you from that. All of a sudden, the good news becomes amazing news. You, you, you just can't even put an adjective there. It's not just news. Why? Because context has been provided for it. As we share the good news, don't get caught in just going right to the cross. I asked Gria about a year ago. It was a year ago or two years ago. I can't remember which. We were sharing over at an old folks home about a mile from here. I said, Gria, I want you to do kind of the devo- uh, devotional time on, on this occasion. And I kid you not, and I, I knew Gria would do a great job. He's a man of the word. And Gria, I think he started in Genesis, oh, about one. And I'm like, holy cow, I've never heard Gria give a public anything. And I thought, well, I'll just settle in here, you know. Um, if people get up and start leaving, you know, we'll just, we'll be okay. He starts in Genesis 1. And by the end, I think he had got all the way really through Revelation. And what he did was he shared a Christmas message that gave context. Such that when you get to the point about a little baby coming to the earth, you're like, yes, we need that. And Christmas without context rings really, really hollow. Isn't it neat to sing, O Come Emmanuel, and to think about a people in bondage, a people in slavery, knowing because of the prophecies that their Messiah was to come. And instead of jumping right to joy to the world, the Lord has come, we're going to be singing some songs that point to that day, but don't rush to the end of the story. That's all for the sake of of context. That's part of how you will worship more fully this year than perhaps you have in the past. We've already kind of gone through here a little bit about what Advent is. There's some things you can jot down if you'd like. Um, Perhaps a a, a new Christmas tradition. I want you to turn your Bibles over to Revelation chapter 3. This uh, year, really just because of kind of how some reading schedules that we had going on it just came up. We read Revelation, uh, a good chunk of Revelation, over the holidays. And, um, and with my mind chewing on Advent, and not just the first Advent, but the second Advent, the, 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 the coming of Christ that is to come, I thought, man, who would have thought that you could read Revelation as part of your Christmas, Christmas story, but it's right there. There's this, there's this Advent element to Revelation, this second, this second coming that's there. Look at Revelation chapter 3. And starting in verse 11, I'm just going to kind of give you a couple of highlights. But those of you who know Revelation a little bit know that these first few chapters are Jesus talking to the seven churches. And with each of these seven churches, he comes along and he says, I know that you're doing this. He kind of compliments them. And he only says this, something to the effect of, but I have this against you. And he points out some pretty good churches, some churches that you go, man, they've got it going on. But Jesus knows the hearts and minds and motives of every single soul and every single person. He comes along and says, I see this, that's good, but I have this against you. And there's always some some reality check kind of that that goes on. Uh, To to the church here in in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 11, it says this. It says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There's that second advent idea that what you're doing, persevere. He says this to several of the churches. Press on. You're going to be persecuted, but hang on. The crown of life is coming. 
And that's the second advent, the anticipation that we have. Jump down to verse 17. This is the, the church at Laodicea. In verse 17, it says this. Think about this in light of Black Friday. Think about this in light of the kind of opulence that we live in, even in the midst of recession. Isn't it true that our recession is still like Christmas Day for everyone around the world? We, 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 we know that, right? So even though we talk about it and it feels normal to say, poor us, we're in a recession, we're way down here, the graph shows me below, I've lost tons of money in my retirement, it's, it's, it's ludicrous to start thinking about the worldwide scene and say every day you wake up and you had fresh, clean clothes to put on, uh, you had the option to eat breakfast or not, you probably had the option for hot coffee or not, you're sitting in a comfortable chair, we have it exactly the temperature that I like, no, I'm kidding, uh, that in general people like, Right? I mean, we, we've got it all. This is Christmas Day. You, you, you just drop someone from the slums of, of India right now into our setting, and they go, man, every day is Christmas Day. Every single Sunday is Christmas Sunday. That, that's, the, that's the picture. So here it is. Listen to all of this in light of that. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And he says this, I counsel you to buy gold, uh, to, to buy from me, Jesus talking, gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Man, Black Friday indeed. I would say this, great light of the world, come and flood our darkened eyes so we can see what's real, see what's true. Open up our ears so that, so that you and I, so that Neighborhood Bible Church can hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In this kind of double focus of past and also future, Advent also symbolizes the spiritual journey of individuals and in a congregation as they affirm that Christ has come, past, that He is present in the world today, and that He will come again with power. That acknowledgement provides the basis for kingdom ethics, for holy living, arising from a profound sense that we live kind of between the times and are called to be faithful stewards of what is entrusted to us as God's people. So as the church celebrates God's inbreaking into history in the incarnation and, and anticipates a future consummation to that history, it also confesses its own responsibility as a people commissioned to love the Lord your God with all your heart and the second which is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what, here's what this season is about. It's not just about Sunday mornings. Four messages and then we're done. Rather, it's about four Sundays together coming together, hearing the public reading of Scripture, looking and thinking about a physical object like a lighted candle, being together and anticipating a huge month-long party, getting together midweek in community groups and chewing in on this, pressing in on each other a little bit to kind of press in on how we worship and where we go to worship and where we're looking to be fulfilled 
and what we really hope in and what we anticipate in the coming weeks and months and years and what our foundations are. That's what this season is going to be about for us. While celebrating Advent starts with worship, it kind of spills out into decisions of the will that affect these kinds of things, spending less, giving more, and loving all. So in thinking about a different kind of Christmas, what I want to do each week is this. I want to give you some, some things to kind of grab onto so that this doesn't just pass us by and it's all conceptual. How oh, isn't that kind of nice? And it's kind of distant. Instead, I want it to kind of start to seep in. And I want you as a couple, I want you as an individual to go and think on this and chew on this and say, Lord, what do you have for us that's different this year? Maybe you're doing some things right now that all this will do is reinforce, man, we are so on the right track with this. I don't care if it was handed down from you, you read it in a magazine or stole it from some other family. Man, press on and keep doing it. But for some of you, I think you're going to be confronted with the opportunity to really reflect on how you celebrate Christmas. Do we look any different from our neighbors in how we celebrate? And not just because we get dressed up on the night before and go into church. But fundamentally, is there, is there a difference? Is there something different about how we celebrate? Um, here's how it looks. I'll just kind of throw a, a few thoughts out to you, and then we're going to do a couple more songs. What does it mean? What does it mean, this different kind of Christ, Christmas? Here's, here's kind of a foundational push that I want to, uh, to instill in us this season is this. That there's this realization that you and I join in this, in this chorus of praise with angels, with Mary, with Magi, with all these characters that we know from the Christmas story, that as we sing worship songs, we're joining with them, in essence. We're, we're entering into to that story. Here's kind of how it could look. Number one is this, to pray, pray this prayer, unveil the glory. God, would you unveil the glory? Turn to the book of John, chapter 1. We just spent several months in the book of John going through this. And so this uh, chapter 1 is from way back when. But it's a great Christmas passage. John chapter 1, verse 4 says this. It says, In Him was life. Talking about Jesus. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness... Catch this, has not understood it. Skip down to verse 10. Verse 10 says, He, meaning Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but they did not receive Him. This prayer of praying to unveil the glory is this recognition that there are people who will go through this entire season, they could even probably spit out the Christmas story that will totally miss it. If we're really honest in here, we would, we would probably fess up that we've missed it. Or maybe, really, or maybe been really slow on the uptake one year. Where we just got wrapped up in everything else going on. And that's why I said at the start, this, this consumer culture has this way of just kind of swallowing up this sacred season that we're in. The darkness has not understood it. The world did not recognize him, and his own people he created did not receive him. A couple things just to think about. A choice is involved when it comes to thinking about not just the Christmas story, but Jesus and spiritual truth. There's a choice involved. 
There's a choice to disregard what's being talked about up here. When you're challenged to be earnest in your faith, when you're challenged to be held accountable to live the way Christ would want you to live, when you're challenged to repent, turn from your sin, you can disregard it. Not only can you disregard it, which is maybe more an apathetic response, you can shrink back from it or run from it and say, man, I just don't even want to go there. Or you can open up and receive. And there's probably other options, but those are three pretty common ones, right? Apathy, running from, or running to. A choice is involved. Secondly, realize that spiritual forces are at work. What do you think is going on here with, with the darkness not recognizing and not understanding Jesus Christ coming to this world? Think about your own life and the way that spiritual truth has been unveiled to you. Was it your own doing? It, it, is it that we're so smart that we kind of figured this out and now, and now we understand what's going on as a Christian? It's not. And, and that's why it, it sounds cliche to say it's a gift. It's the gift of eternal life. It's the gift of relationship with Christ. But it really is just that. My own experience is that I was sitting in Sunday night church against my will. It was the will of my dad that I was sitting in church. Every Sunday night. It was the will of my dad that I sat in church. Not my will. And while sitting in that service, like I shared earlier, it was unveiled to me what was really going on. The state of me in my sin. And so it was, it was given to me. Those are spiritual forces that are at work. The prayer is this, Lord, unveil the glory. I want you to think about Mary. And just go read. Uh, this is, these are all from Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. Just start with those four chapters. And just maybe as you go along, I've got some Advent readings. There's a reading for each day in your bulletin on the back side that you could just sit out and read as a couple, read as a family, go read as an individual this week. And each day there's kind of this, this separate reading that, that either points to the, the second Advent or looks back to the first Advent. But think about Mary. The glory of God inside Mary was unveiled to her when Gabriel came and told her, right? That's how she found out about it. She had no idea what was about to happen, what was going to happen, but it was unveiled to her by an angel. Think about Joseph. Uh, God's plan of redemption included Joseph not divorcing her quietly because he was a righteous man and wanted to protect her name. But when she was found to be with child, an angel came to him and said, no, 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 don't be afraid to go ahead and take Mary is your wife. This is the Lord's doing. You're a part of God's redemptive work. And so it was, it was unveiled to him by supernatural forces. How about the shepherds? We hear that angels sing, let's uh, sing you know, in the sky, and they're shocked by it and everything. And then they say this, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Were they super smart shepherds? No. Were they super righteous shepherds? Probably not. They were probably average Joe shepherds, blue-collar shepherds that were just out on the job one night. And God chose to unveil it to them. I'm not even sure they were seeking the Lord, but it was unveiled to them. How about the Magi? Through prophetic writings, through a miraculous star, and through dreams, the following were unveiled to these Magi. The location of, of Christ... Um, their hearts to worship. It says when they showed up, they bowed down and worshipped him. That was unveiled. And finally, this threat from Herod was unveiled to them in a dream. All of this, the point being this, 
that you and I, as we enter this Christmas season, there is a veil going on. And frankly, Black Friday is part of it. Not to vilify the mall, not to vilify commercials, not to vilify Warner Jewelers. I have nothing against them. But what I do have against is this, 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 this reality that there's a spiritual covering. There's a veil there. And just to have hearts and minds that would pray to God, Lord, unveil your glory this Christmas season in a way that I haven't seen before. Unveil the glory of a season. Unveil the glory of an arrival, both the past arrival that's already happened and the future arrival that's really coming. God, would you unveil the glory of a baby and why this matters so, so much. God, would you unveil the glory of a story. Not a story that can be captured or purchased at Target for 59 bucks to put on your front line. Get all 14 pieces and set them out there. I think it's great. But isn't the story way bigger than that? I mean, Playmobil's got a thing. I mean, it's like, it's not captured just in those little, those little characters. We're actually entering into this thing. It wasn't even initiated at Christmas time, was it? This is a story much bigger and broader than that. And you and I have the option to enter in. That's the second part of this, is just to enter the story. And the challenge here is this. What if you, as an individual who's not married yet, started a tradition this year that actually begins a new trajectory at Christmas time? That, that should God bless and you, and you are given a husband, you're given a wife, you're blessed with a family, that that family, because of this year, is actually on this brand new trajectory at Christmas every year because you started a new tradition this year. That's powerful to think about. There becomes, there becomes a ton of power in this now as we think about this. And by the way, every other step is, is contingent on it. depends on the fact that this starts and ends with worship. This isn't done out of, uh, out of trying to earn God or anything like that. It, it, just, it just is a response to God to, to worship Him. Announcing the kingdom of God. It's more than four spiritual laws can contain. Again, I talked about just the, the context that's here. It's more than just getting into heaven or a club or a church. Sadly, sometimes you can't tell which is which in this day and age. It's, it's living changed lives made possible by the first advent. Think about that. We're able to live changed lives because of this story we're celebrating, right? But it's not just, it doesn't end there where we're always looking back 2,000 years, always looking back into history, trying to drum up and muster up through all of our study of what it was like back then and this, that, and the other, and contextualizing it. It's all about looking back. But instead, it's also looking forward and offering. We use the word share here. It's sharing that hope of a future advent. It's sharing the hope that we have. It's not just about living moralistic lives because of something Christ did long ago. It's about living lives that point to a future. And you know what? The way you spend your dollars absolutely will show where your hope is at. And we all know, from the littlest kid on, we all know the emptiness of putting your hope in that package under the tree and going, this year's it. I know that that's the one. And I don't care if it's two minutes, two weeks, or two years. At some point, that little idol is going to let you down. Man, it feels good for a little while, doesn't it? It does. Because we get duped by it. We go, I really want that thing. And we even can kind of know. It's like sin. We know there's going to be a time we'll look back on this and it won't satisfy quite as much, but we still get suckered into that. We do. We just go, I want that one thing. This will be the last year. Every year we'll kind of downplay it. 
been a rough year. I, owe it to my, I mean, there's all kinds of things we do. But there it is. Um, we just read from Psalm uh, uh, 1, what is that, 146? Thank you. Almost thought 145. Terrible. I want to, I'm going to read for you some things. On our website, there's a, a little tab that just says how we share. And under there is, um, I think, a tab called Holiday Opportunities, Holiday Local Sharing Opportunities. And I want to read for you a list of things that, as I was meditating, thinking about Psalm 146 this week, watch how these line up just with, with what we're doing. You want to know where to start? How do I enter a new story? Where do I begin? What do I do? Here's where you start. First is this, that Jesus' first entry into the world is one in which Jesus identified with and brought a literal spotlight to the non-players, the outcast, the poor. That, little sp- that literal spotlight was the star, right? And he came and shone his light on the disenfranchised, kind of the fringe. Listen to Psalm 146. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. Jesus came and identified with the oppressed. There was no room at the end. They were poor. Here's another thing. Right now, I told you earlier that middle schoolers are leading the way in the canned food drive. This morning, they're out on rollerblades, scooters, and feet, blanketing our neighborhood with a bag that says, hey, in a couple weeks, we're going to be back. Fill this bag up with canned foods that we can then take and give and redistribute to other people in need. That's what they're doing right now. Listen to this, Psalm 146. He gives food to the hungry. That's an opportunity you as a community group or as a family have to do right now. You can, there's a map in the back. You can claim an area. And we've got about two or three areas that are taken right now. There's about seven more to go. Go grab an area and own that area. So he feeds the hungry. How about this one? Many of you at Christmas time and maybe at other times go and visit shut-ins. And you sing and you do a little devotional. If you're like Ruia, you can pull off a devotional that goes from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, Some of you aren't that skilled. But we go and sing, right? And we visit shut-ins. And we just go and visit with them. And I tell you what, kids drawing pictures, that is just a huge gift. Looking at people in the eyes, touching their hands, hearing their story, engaging with them. It's an absolute blast. Psalm 146. He sets the prisoner free. They're not in prison, but they're shut in. If you're shut in, it means you're bound, basically, to that place. How about this? Have an international student over for a meal this Christmas. If you need help connecting with an international student, come and talk to me. But this is an absolute blast. Many of you will be hosting Christmas this year. If you're hosting Christmas this year, why not invite someone in who, who may uh, be all alone in a, in a little apartment somewhere without anything going on at Christmas time? Psalm 146, he watches over the alien. Think about it this way. If that was your brother, if that was your sister, if that was your child living right now over in Malaysia, would you want them alone in an apartment building, eating a TV dinner on Christmas, or would you want them with a family? Man, that's the way you need to think about it. Rope an international student in for a meal this Christmas. Help one child, the Rose family. Where's Ron at? Go talk to Ron about this. This is is something that we talked about last week. But help one child. Psalm 146. God sustains the fatherless and the widow. God just put this in the Rose family's heart many years ago. And they just acted on it. They just obediently did. And that's caring after the heart of God. Finally, what if you made a conscious decision 
this year to not worship at the mall. Some of us can go to the mall, and not only do you not worship at it, you come kicking, screaming, and fighting and all of that. Maybe this message isn't for you. It's for the person, though, that says, I've got to be I gotta be in there. I gotta, I, I, there's something there. And, and, and knowingly or unknowingly, you're searching for happiness at the mall. It's at the next store around the corner, whatever it might be. Now, mind you, just because you don't go to the mall, some of you online shop, and all of a sudden, the mall comes to you, right? If you find yourself, husbands, if you find your wives, you know, you know, hiding your computer or threatening to throw it away or something, you might be spending too much time online shopping. Ladies, the same thing, okay? So the, the, the idea is this. What if, uh, what if we didn't worship at the mall this year? Whatever that looks like for you. You can fill in kind of the, the details. But listen to Psalm 146. That God frustrates the ways of the wicked. I think if everyone who claimed the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior played by some different rules, I guarantee you Madison Avenue would notice. People would stand up and take notice of that and say, ah, they're not playing by our rules anymore. We've got to think of a different strategy. And it would, it would cause a shockwave in America if we did this. That's part of the message of Advent Conspiracy. And I love that a few small churches just got together and said, we're going to do this thing. And people just, it resonates with them. It says, man, there's something about that that I really like. Band, why don't you come on up? Rather than downsizing this year, I would say this. Christmas is all about up, upsizing. And, and this year, by the way, the general premise, and I'm going to stick with this, is this. Buy one less gift this year. Buy one less gift this year. That's starting small, right? That's not too threatening. Buy one less gift, but don't just pocket it and say, sweet, now we can go to, you know, the Santa's, Santa's Village and spend it. But rather take that money that you would have spent on that one gift and invest it somewhere. Put it into the lives of someone. Pool it with other families who are committed to doing the same, same thing and do something even bigger that it has more effect. That's the basic idea. All of a sudden, rather than downsizing and saying, kids, we're getting less gifts and all of that, you start to think globally. And if you have a world vision child, you already know this, but you get this catalog where you're like, we could buy a goat! We could buy a goat for a village over here and all of a sudden like Christmas explodes out into the world and now you're like helping a village over here somewhere because you bought a goat or three chickens. They're going to give eggs for the rest of the year. Whatever it might be and all of a sudden you go, man, Plastic City is shrinking in our home. But we're, we're building into the kingdom, into the lives of other people around the world. As we sing these songs, ponder this question. How will you? How will you? Let's drive this really personal. How will you put down your burdens and lift up praise this season? It's right there in your bulletin. That's one of the questions our community groups are going to wrangle with this week. But I want you to chew on that and think on that as we worship. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you for song and the story and the word and other people, God, that just enrich our lives as we bounce ideas off and, and rub up against God. I pray that this season would be different because of you. Uh, Lord, we don't have to force this, and we don't have to perform for you, God, and we appreciate that. Lord, right now, as we, uh, as we continue in worship, Lord, with, um, with the giving of our money, as we continue in worship with the giving of our hearts and lives in song, Lord, we just pray that you would, in fact, inhabit the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come on forward, and we'll uh, continue in song.